As we begin reading in John chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, there's been a time or two when I've been involved in conversations or when somebody has told me about something that they wanted to do or participate in, but it was clearly outside of the bounds of the Word of God where I've been called upon to encourage that person not to go that direction, but to be faithful to God and to follow His instruction. There's been a couple of occasions over the years where the way it gets communicated to me is that they feel strongly that they need to go this direction or do this thing that God does not want them to do. And that if they miss this opportunity, they're going to miss out on the happiness that they could be enjoying in their life. My response is this, is that that is foolishness. Because if you're going to tell me that your path to true happiness lies outside of God's will for your life, that makes zero sense. You know, what do we think? Just a couple simple things that we know about God. We know that God knows us. In fact, sometimes when I'm dealing with somebody that has just this kind of decision in front of them, these are the kinds of questions that I ask. I said, does God know you? Well, yes, He knows me. How, how do we know that He knows you? He made me. So, yeah, He knows me. Okay, does God love you? Well, yeah, God loves me. How do you know that God loves you? Well, God sent His own Son to die on the cross for you and to rise again from the dead to overcome sin in your life. You give an eternity with Him. If God is willing to sacrifice His own Son for you, you can't get any greater love than that. So yeah, God loves you. And so here's the thing. To say that the God who knows you and the God who loves you, that your best shot at true happiness lies outside of His will, makes totally no sense at all. If God knows you and God loves you, then He wants the best for you. He wants the ultimate happiness for you. And so to think that you're going to find it anywhere other than in His will is foolishness. Now what happens? Well, the same thing that happened to Eve and Adam back in the Garden of Eden. Same thing that happens when we're kids. Sometimes our vision gets off. And we start looking at some enticement or some temptation or allurement from the world or from our own flesh or from the devil himself. And it might look exciting. It might look fun. It might look like that is uh, rewarding in one way or another. Pleasurable for a season. But it comes down to this. Who are you going to believe? That's really when you think of the choice in the garden. That's what it was all down to. You can either believe the serpent or you can believe God. Which, which one's it going to be? It calls for a level of trust. You see, one thing I noticed in raising kids is that often the child wants to go one path and I want him to go another path. And we're buttonheads. He's determined, thinking that this is the path to his happiness. This is going to be fun. This is going to be exciting. This is going to be whatever. And I am saying, nope, you need to go down this path. You need to go this way right now. Why is that conflict there? Is that conflict there because I don't want them to be happy? Is that what really the conflict is about? No. 
You know what I've found over the years is that we actually kind of have the same goal. They want to be happy. I want them to be happy. But here's the difference. They're looking at something small, and I'm looking at a bigger picture. You see, what they want to participate in thinking it's exciting is something that I know damages their character. And in the end, which one is the true path to happiness? Well, you know what the true path to happiness is? It's the longer look. Because I know that this path might lead to a little excitement up front, but damage in the end. And this path may be a little less exciting on the front end, at least the look of it, but substantially better path for guaranteeing a future happiness. But it's going to involve a measure of trust. You know, the passage that we're looking at here today in John chapter 10, that's kind of what we see. Because look, let's look at the very end of the passage. In verse 10, it says, A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The context here, though, it's in the context of the thieves. But at least three different times in just these ten verses, he points out that there's, there are thieves among us. The thief climbs in over a different way rather than going in the door. The thief wants to kill and to destroy. The thief is going to wreak havoc. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And you see, that's the world that we live in. The world that we live in, God wants to point us, draw us to Himself as our Good Shepherd. He wants us to have that abundant life, that long-look happiness, which results in an eternal life and an eternal happiness. And God wants us to have that. But all along the pathway, there are little thieves and robbers and strangers that want to distract us and pull us in a different direction. Now, the thieves and robbers that Jesus is pointing to takes off of it's still part of the same conversation of chapter 9 where He ended that pronouncing a curse or a judgment upon the Pharisees because of their blindness. These were the people that had religious leadership over the nation of Israel and they would be considered to be the shepherds of Israel, but they were totally blowing it. They were, as Jesus would call them in another time and place, they would be blind leaders of the blind. And these are shepherds that aren't coming in by the door because Jesus is the only door. They're coming in some other way and they are destroying the flock of God that is the children of Israel. What did Jesus desire for them? Jesus desired for them this abundant living. What does Jesus desire for you? He desires this abundant living. You know, anytime you come across a point in your life where you could say, you know what, I could do that. This looks kind of exciting, but you know it's outside of God's will. You better just stay here. Because Jesus didn't tell you to not do that because He's trying to suck all the fun out of your life. Jesus didn't do that because He wants to rain on your parade. When God gives us a rule, a principle, a command, He does that for His own glory and for our own good. And our own good is to bring honor and glory for Him. And so we need to stick to that. If you boil it down to this, it's basically this. You need to trust the shepherd. Jesus got two scenarios here. One is destruction, death, theft. The other one is abundant living. And it all boils down to this one thing, the shepherd. The shepherd is a very necessary part in our life. We look back in the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel needed a shepherd. They needed leadership. In fact, when they first came out of Egypt as a nation, God put who? Moses in charge as their shepherd. And He would guide them out. And Moses had been a shepherd for 40 years out in the wilderness of actual sheep before this. And so God uses him to now shepherd His people and He brings them out into the wilderness. And they follow Him in the wilderness for 40 years while God provides for them. And then they're about to head into the promised land. And Moses has one request of God. It says in Numbers chapter 27, verses 15-17, through 17, it says, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, 
appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. You see, the shepherd has been Moses' job for the last 40 years. And now as they're entering into the promised land, Moses is leaving. God's going to take him home. And Moses says, just don't let them be like sheep with no shepherd. This nation needs direction. It needs leadership. It needs somebody who will bring them in and take them out. Notice that whole phrase is describing a shepherd. In fact, in John chapter 10, that's what Jesus says that He does. He brings them in and He brings them out. That's the whole job description of a shepherd. What's He talking about? He's talking about the sheepfold or the pen. You see, if shepherds were out in the, in the fields, they would take rocks and logs and stuff like that and build a pen. And at night, they would put the sheep into the pen and the pen would have an opening and then the opening was uh, where the shepherd would lay. In fact, I just read uh, yesterday about a, an individual who was talking to an Arab shepherd. The shepherd showed him a, a pen that he'd constructed to hold his sheep at night. He says, well, uh, there's an opening, but there's no door. And the shepherd says, I, I am the door. And that's exactly what Jesus says in this passage. Now, he, the point that he's making is bigger. It's about the good shepherd and him being the good shepherd. And we're going to get into a fuller understanding of that next week. But he uses analogy in these ten verses. He says, I am the door. You see, when you're out in the field and you have that sheep pen, that's what the shepherd would actually be, would be the door. He seems to kind of swap illustrations a little bit here. Because when you would go into town with your sheep, you would leave your sheep at a big community pen. And many shepherds would bring their sheep into that pen and they would leave their sheep there for the night and there would be a hired gatekeeper that would, that would watch the gate for that one. Any of the shepherds that came to collect their sheep, he would let them in with their sheep to get their sheep, but he would not let anybody that didn't have sheep go in there. So obviously if somebody's trying to get in a different way, they aren't anybody with any sheep in there. And there, you gotta watch out for those guys. Well, it looks like in this passage, Jesus starts off talking about that kind of a sheep pen. Because he says, you know what, the, the shepherd is only one that the gatekeeper will let in there. But they didn't really get that illustration. It says they didn't really understand what he was saying. So he changes for a different analogy, goes to the kind of sheep pen outside of town where he himself would be the door. Like I said, that's what a shepherd does. In the, at night, he brings the sheep in to the sheepfold where they're close, they can't get away from him, nothing else can get to them, and he positions himself in the door. Nothing gets through without going by him. But then in the morning, he gets up and he leads them out. He leads them out to water, pasture, he provides for them by leading them out. The whole shepherd's job is described by this one thing. Bringing them in, taking them out. Well, that same kind of terminology is used of the leadership of the nation of Israel. Moses says, don't leave them without, like sheep without a shepherd. They need somebody to lead them in and lead them out. In other words, you need somebody to take care of them. Leading them into the sheepfold would be for what? Protection. Leading them out would be providing for them during the day, making sure they have the food and the sustenance that they need. So a shepherd's whole job is to protect and provide. He leads them in and he leads them out. You know, the same language was used of David as God begins to make him king of the nation of Israel. It says in both Second Samuel chapter 5 and in First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 2, it says, In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. You see what God says to him there? He says, you've been being the shepherd, even while Saul was the king, the appointed shepherd at the time of Israel. He says, David, you know what? You've been being the shepherd. Even while Saul was king, you were leading him in and bringing him back. And you're doing the job of the shepherd. So now I'm going to appoint you my shepherd over Israel. And in that term shepherd, as we're going to see in coming weeks, the fulfillment of the promise to David that he'd be the shepherd of Israel would all extend all the way down to Jesus Christ as he claims to be the good shepherd. 
So what is the job of a shepherd? Protect and provide. We see an outline of it pretty good in Psalm 23, a very popular passage of Scripture. It's only six verses long. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. And here's the theme of the whole six verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. I shall not be in want. I shall not lack. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. The foundational premise is the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I will be lacking nothing. I shall not be in want. And then we see him kind of outline it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the job of a shepherd. But the sheep want for nothing that they don't want for protection. They're protected by his rod and his staff, even when they're in dangerous places like the valley of the shadow of death. They don't want for provision. Why? Because He leads them beside still waters. He leads them out to green pastures. He restores my soul. Even our internal longings and needs, He fulfills all of those things as our Good Shepherd. And that's exactly what God told us that Jesus would be for us and what was prophesied. Matthew chapter 2, verse 6 uh, quotes from Malachi chapter 5, verse 2. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You know what? The fact of the matter is, is if we want that abundant life, we need a shepherd. Otherwise, we tend to stray. We tend to wander like sheep. Sheep are not the most intelligent creatures. I've heard it said that a whole herd will follow one of them off a cliff. They'll walk down a path of desolate Nothing to eat with green fields not very far away, but they need to be led to it. They need to be cared for. One, one person said this. They said if, if evolution were true, there would be no sheep because they definitely are not the fittest. They would not survive. And You know what? Over and over through the Bible, both Old Testament and New, the Bible refers to us as sheep and to God as our shepherd, to Christ as our shepherd. We need that kind of leadership. Just like Moses when he was leaving, he said, don't leave these people like sheep without a shepherd. They need a shepherd. And God provided that for them. Jesus would look out over the city of Jerusalem and weep over the city because they were like sheep having no shepherd. We want abundant life. It only comes through the Good Shepherd. Well, the first thing that we see pointed out in this passage as we recognize this is the responsibilities of the shepherd. They're twofold, and we've already mentioned them. The first one is protection. They need to be protected. And you know what? The same is true today. You know, when you look back at the nation of Israel, God would prophesy through Ezekiel that the shepherds of Ezekiel's day had not done their job. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 31, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek after them. 
So God writing to the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, and he's saying, you haven't done your job. You're feeding yourself well enough. You're fattened up. But you've let the sheep go astray and you're not feeding them. You're not watching over them. Therefore, God pronounces judgment on them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God. Surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God. Behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. And then God says what He will do. So He's going to fire the shepherds. They're out of the picture. He's no longer going to let them get fattened on His sheep. Then it says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I Myself, will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be a shepherd of my sheep, and my, I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and will bring back the strayed, and will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat, and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice." And I will judge between the sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord and I have spoken. And then he goes on a little bit longer to talk about how he will judge sheep from sheep and with justice. And then he says, And I will make with them a covenant of peace. And will banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Notice this picture he's given them. Picture of protection and provision. They'll be able to sleep in the woods and I will make them and all the places around my hill a blessing and I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them a renowned plantation so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. And so God comes in and says, Look, you shepherds have not you've been feeding yourselves and not my sheep. And so you're fired. You're going to face the judgment of God. He says, but God Himself would become their shepherd. And He would appoint a shepherd over them. And it would be from what? David. It would be from David, the prince, the shepherd of His people. And this is after David's time. So it's obviously looking forward to David's descendant, Jesus Christ, that would be that good shepherd that would come and be our shepherd. So Israel needed to be protected. And their shepherds weren't doing the job. 
And so they were left to all the desolations that God talked about. Now, in the New Testament, it doesn't change much. In the New Testament, that's exactly what God did. God gave the elders of the churches, the pastors of the churches, as shepherds. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4, through 4, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Notice in this passage a couple things. One is that he says he has appointed shepherds and the elders of the churches. And then he tells them to do the work of the shepherd. He tells them to shepherd the, the people of God. The flock of God. And then he says there's coming a time when you're going to stand before the chief shepherd. And so the churches are given an authority structure, leadership, in order to guide so the wife, so we can be protected and provided for. To have people that are dedicated to the to studying out the Word of God and, and, and applying it to our time and the place that we're in and understanding that and teaching others to do also. Well, what do we need to be protected from? Same things that they did back then. In Israel they had false prophets. In the church there'll be false teachers. You know, a lot of times I hear comments where people say, all oh, this division among the church, if it was really a true church, we're really doing things the way Jesus wanted us to, we wouldn't be divided. It's a bunch of baloney. You notice that everywhere Jesus went here, people divided because some people believed Him and others didn't. You know, in the whole ministry of the apostles, people were divided. Why? Because some people followed the truth and others didn't. And so that tends to divide people. All throughout the New Testament, we're told that there's the presence of false teachers. Acts chapter 20, when the Apostle Paul sits down with the, the pastors of the church of Ephesus, says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Now notice he refers to it as a flock and that they have been made overseers over this flock. They've been made their shepherds, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. In Second Peter, Peter warns of the same thing. In chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, he says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And so Peter warns of, just as Israel had his false prophets, the church is going to have to battle against false teaching and false teachers. Jude would echo the same thing. He had a very different purpose in writing. He begins in verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. There's a lot of that going on in our climate today. And deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and 
pursued unnatural desire, speaking of homosexuality, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So Peter says the same thing. Look, we're going to have false teachers that are going to turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and promote all kinds of ungodly things. Jude said, I would love to write, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but there's a battle raging here between these false teachers and it needed to be addressed. In fact, a couple verses later in Jude, it says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. He may very well be referring to, as part of that, Peter. Because Peter, in his second epistle in chapter 3, said, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own evil desires. You know, when the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians, in the very first chapter, he'd say, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Which he would go on to tell them, which is really no gospel at all. But they were adding things to the gospel and burying it under a bunch of religious ceremony and good deeds. And it corrupted the gospel. And he says, you are so quickly turning to a different gospel. And he tells them this and he repeats it for them twice. He says, even if we or an angel from God Himself comes to you with any gospel other than the gospel, they are to be cursed. There was a false gospel that was being spread among the people. We find the same thing when we're in the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 4, it says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus... So notice, they're still using the word Jesus, but they're going to be proclaiming another Jesus than the one we proclaimed. Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And so he's chastising these people because they were listening to the teaching of these other group of people that were referring to themselves as some kind of super apostle. And they were presenting a different gospel with a different Jesus, all the same terminology, but coming from a very different spirit. In verses 13 through 15 of the same chapter, he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. And so you will find across the country and the world, standing in pulpits even this morning, some of these same false teachers who come across looking legit. They're talking about a Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, that's not my Jesus. That's not my Gospel. Or the Apostle Paul would write to Titus and tell him that he must hold firm to the trustworthy Word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who would contradict it. To Timothy, he would write, as Timothy helps the church of Ephesus, he says, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Timothy's job, one of his jobs was to put to end some of the teaching that was happening within the church because it was false. Second Timothy, in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul would write to Timothy and tells him, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know, some very sad news that I heard on 
on the news on the radio this last week was a survey of the I think it was the Church of England. They said that the majority of the priests, which if they have if they call them priests, you know, that'll be a red flag right there. The only priest in the New Testament is Jesus Christ, our high priest, and the priesthood of all the believers. But the majority of priests within the Church of England now say that we should take our cues on social and moral issues from the community at large, rather than from the Word of God. That is a sad day. The day that the Apostle Paul told Timothy was going to happen. There's going to come a day when people are going to find somebody that will teach them what they want to hear. But you know, in the book of Revelation, Jesus sends letters to different churches. And the church of Pergamum, in chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, notice what Jesus says. He says, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual morality. So also you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church of Thyatira, he would write, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food, sacrifice to idols, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, you have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. The point is we need a shepherd. We need our good shepherd. 